You ever gotten lost? I vividly remember getting lost when I was six years old. Uh, we were living in a small town in Iowa, about 5,000 people, and I only lived two blocks from school, so I had started kindergarten. It's either kindergarten or first grade, and, and I knew the way. It was actually just down the street. But somehow, my friend asked me if I would stop by his house on the way home, and so when I went to make my way home, of which I'd always been so confident, I got lost. And I mean, the more that I kept turning down the wrong street and not recognizing where I was, the more panic I got. And now, all of a sudden, this whole thing started taking over. And so I was crying, not ashamed to tell you, I was crying, and I found my... And eventually, I turned down the street, and I recognized some of the signs. And I realized that I was near the post office, and if I was near the post office, then I was just a block past the school, and I knew that I was now back on my street. And I had never been so grateful to see certain signs help me when I was lost. Now, here's what's funny. I went back to be a pastor 20 years later after I'd moved away from there, <laughs> And I'd go out to see different farmers or different families in the nearby, uh, you know, area, and I would get lost then, too. And I was never, never so happy as to see certain signs that would point me back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, if you're following along today, we're in this series called Encountering Christ, and we're going to talk about how God wants to help us when we lose our way or when we get into a time of confusion or when we're overwhelmed like that. And I want you to see this morning, as we study John chapter 11, if you're following along in the notes, we now come to Jesus' seventh miraculous sign in John. We now come to Jesus' seventh miraculous sign in John. If you wouldn't mind, once you've filled that out, would you mind turning your notes over to the back side? Early on in this series, some of you have been with us since the beginning, early on in this series, I mentioned that one of the ways that John writes his gospel differently than the other gospel writers is that he primarily focuses on eight primary signs. He calls them miraculous signs in the New International Version uh, that Jesus did in order to verify that he really was God's son, that he really was the Messiah sent from God, the one. And so I've listed some things there. You can see where we've been. We saw the first sign was that Jesus turns water into wine. The next one, he heals an official's son. He heals a paralyzed man. He feeds over 5,000 people. As we learned, it's probably closer to 20 because that was just men. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus gives sight to the blind man. And then today, what we're going to study is that Jesus brings Lazarus back from death. He brings him back from death. It's an incredible thing. And you'll see that the eighth one has to do with Jesus' own death and resurrection. Now, we're going to finish studying John for right now, after today, and we're going to come back in the fall. But we're halfway through John's gospel. And this is just one of the most powerful passages. This is a sign that's meant to point us to what God wants us not to miss. But here's the great thing. John 20 tells us, John shows us why he wrote the whole gospel. And I want you to read it with me. It's listed there in the gray box. So let's read this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is powerful. Why does he share these signs? Because more important than a sign is a person. These signs all point us God's answer to our lostness, God's answer to our confusion isn't just signs, but ultimately a person, Jesus Christ, who is God's son, and he's been verified, but he wants us to benefit from this. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to study this, and you may also see that in this passage today, Jesus is going to make another I am statement. Some of you remember that when Moses met God in the Old Testament, he said, who are you? Can you give me your name so when I go tell the people of Israel that you've sent me, that I have a name for you? He says, tell them, I am sent you. So when Jesus walks on the scene and starts saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. As we learned last week, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Everybody wanted to pick up rocks to stone him that were his enemies. Why? Because they knew he was equating himself with God. And one of the things that we're going to see today is that the reason why Jesus can help us is because he has been affirmed by God as God in human flesh. And he's going to show yet again in this passage how true that is. So if you're following along, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about perspective. I want to talk to you about what you can do when you might feel like you're lost or overwhelmed, when something is happening in your life where you may have lost all bearings. And I want to talk to you about perspective. And here's what I hope you'll see in this passage today, is that Jesus takes us from ground level to God level perspective. He takes us from ground level to God level perspective. You know, when I was living on ground level as a six-year-old, I got really lost. Because all I could see was how things looked from ground level. Now, if I had been up high and I'd been able to be someone who was watching me, I would have been able to say, no, Jeff, go down two blocks, turn left. You know, I would have had a different perspective. And uh, nowadays, I've found that I may be motoring along. You know, I've known Christ for over 35 years. But I've found that I still come into different situations that all of a sudden, throw me into a certain amount of confusion or they throw me into a certain amount of what do I do? And it might be a time of grief. It might be a time of confusion. It might be a time of sadness, hurt, just overwhelming challenge, whatever it might be for you. At that moment, if you decide to live only by ground level perspective, you're going to be in trouble and so am I. But Jesus comes in this situation. We're going to see that he meets this family this family of three and their friends and the disciples, he meets them in this situation and he takes them from ground level perspective to God level perspective. Why is perspective so important? Why do you and I need this message? Because even if you're doing great today, there's gonna come a day, just live a little longer. There's gonna come a day where you're gonna need God level perspective. I was reading years ago uh, about this swimmer. Her name was Florence Chadwick. And in a fog-shrouded morning, July 4th, 1952, she waded into the water off Catalina Island. Trish and I had a chance uh, a week ago, 10 days ago, to be in San Clemente, California. And you can look across and see Catalina Island. And um, she intended to swim the channel from the island to the California coast. Long-distance swimming was not new to her. She had been the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. 
pretty good swimmer. The water was numbing cold that day. The fog was so thick she could hardly see the boats in her party. Several times, sharks had to be driven away with rifle fire. She swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim on since they were so close to land, but when Florence looked, all she saw was fog. So she quit, only a half mile from her goal. And she said later, if I would have only been able to see how close I was, I'm not making excuses, but I think I would have been able to keep swimming. What she meant was, if I could have had a God-level perspective. And some of you say, you know, we're past needing signs nowadays. We're way more sophisticated. We've got GPS. <laughs> you ever understood how GPS works? Satellites up high shooting information to us down on ground level. And you and I need what Jesus has to teach us this day. And so I hope that in this encounter, you will find whether you need this right now or in the days ahead, you will find that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in a way that will change your life. Let's pray. Oh God, use this passage now as we open our Bibles to John 11. I pray you'll help us. I pray you'll help us. We don't just need more information. We need transformation. We need your revelation to our hearts. So let light bulbs go on in our hearts and minds today by your grace. Be full of grace and truth to us today, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay, if I, I didn't invite you already, I, I kind of inserted it there in the prayer. Would you mind opening your Bibles to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. I hope that if you've been with us for a while, you're getting used to how far back John is in the Bible. But if this is your first time or you're still getting used to your Bible, no problem with that. Glad you want to learn. I do too. So John 11 is about three-fourths of the way back. There's red Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Pull one out and we'll, we'll walk through this. This is a pretty long chapter. But in this chapter, here's what I hope you see. I hope you'll see, if you're looking at the notes, you'll see that Jesus offers perspective to six different individuals or groups in this passage. We're going to primarily focus on one of those encounters after we've walked through all six, but I'll make comments as we walk through this. But if you're following along, the very first thing I want you to see is what the disciples experience, okay? And if you're following along, the disciples get a new take on death, danger, and believing, the disciples get a new take on death, danger, and believing. Are you ready to walk through this with me? Here we go. Chapter, one, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Did you realize... John's referring to something that he's going to record in chapter 12. But why does he tell us this? Why does he assume people already knew who this Mary was? Because the other Gospels had already been written. John's writing a little bit later, and he knows that by now, people all over the world have heard about this Mary. Do you remember in Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, what this woman has done for me, Wherever the gospel's told, what she's done will also be told in memory of her, and it's already being fulfilled. So he could refer to that. It's a pretty incredible thing. But notice the family there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're brothers and sisters, okay? So Lazarus is sick. So verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this is an interesting situation. As we read some of the passages in Luke 10, 
and also what we're going to read in the next chapter after this, what we discern is that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had a house in Bethany just outside Jerusalem that was home for Jesus and his disciples. It was a place where he could let down his hair, and they had a close relationship. So they sent a message, and isn't this interesting? Lord, the one you love is sick. Now look up here, if you would, on the map. This tells us. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus, in just a moment we're going to see, that Jesus is on the east side of the Jordan River. This is where John the Baptist had been baptizing early on. This is where Jesus was baptized. And uh, so he's at least a day's journey away from Bethany and Jerusalem. So he's going to have to cross the Jordan River and stuff like that when he gets this message. But I just want you to kind of be able to picture it. That, by the way, looks nice and flat. The terrain was much more messy than it makes it look. So it was a day's walk to get there, okay? So now a messenger, Martha and Mary send this messenger across the Jordan River to track Jesus down and get this message. This message we read in verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I just want to tell you one thing real quick. Who is Jesus saying this to? When I first read this passage, I thought Jesus was just saying it to his disciples. The more I've read this passage, I've become convinced he was saying it to the messenger. We're going to see later that Jesus is going to refer back to this statement with Martha. Okay? Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why? That is one of the most mysterious things, isn't it? John says, make no mistake, Jesus loved these three, but when he got the message, he didn't go. He delayed. He waited two more days. He stayed where he was. What's happening? And this tension that we have to live with here in this text is going on. Now, imagine, here's how this worked. It took the messenger one day to leave and get to Jesus. He gives the message to Jesus, and he heads back and gets back on day two, at the end of day two. Jesus doesn't leave till day three. It takes him a day to get there, so he shows up on day four, two days after the messenger. And again, Martha and Mary, how much did they scan the horizon looking to see if Jesus was just was going to come back with the messenger? Or what? What happened? Why the delay? Verse 7, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. Remember last chapter? You may not have read that far, but what Steve taught last week, they picked up stones to kill him. And uh, right after verse 30 in John chapter 10, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. In a way, what Jesus is saying here, there's all the time in the world to do God's will. When you're in God's will on God's timetable, you don't have to fear. You're in the center of God's will. You're in the safest place. There's enough time for me to do what God has me to do here on earth. I'm going to move when he tells me to move, but just you're, you're concerned about danger. The most dangerous place to be is outside of God's will and God's timetable, and I'm in it. And we're okay. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas called Didymus, remember who we call Thomas a lot of times? Doubting Thomas, right? He said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Sounds pretty courageous to me. Some people have heard this kind of an Eeyore kind of thing. Remember Winnie the Pooh? All right, let's go die with him. They see it as he's gloomy, but I see it as courageous. He doesn't understand, but he said, let's go with him. Let's go. Now, again, notice the disciples get a new take on death. How does Jesus describe death? Sleep. And the believers, even after that, would be described. When Stephen would be stoned, one of the first disciples to be martyred after this, the Bible would describe it as Stephen was falling asleep. Why? Because death, when Jesus touches it, is just sleep. It's not the end. And Jesus helps them see death in a new way, danger in a new way, and, I might add, believing in a new way. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. We go, wait, they are, the Bible's already said they believe. Have you noticed that we're not just called to believe once? That believing is something that God develops and God deepens, and that's why we're here, isn't it? We want to learn and grow in our believing. Okay, second thing, if you're following along in this next encounter, is Martha. And if you're following along, Martha trusts but sees Jesus in a new way as well. Now we come to Martha, verse 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In the Middle Eastern, uh, the, cult, the custom there is to bury your loved one on the same day because of the climate. They didn't embalm bodies like we do today a lot of times, and so they would literally, they would wrap them in spices because of the decay of the odor of the body, and they would wrap them, and they would put them in a tomb that same day. So he's already been in the tomb four days, which means he's been dead four days now. Uh, and later, uh, Jewish belief would believe that for three days, the soul of the departed would hover around the body. But on day four, when, uh, again, the body would begin to decay, then the soul would leave. What this meant is that, in many ways, most people believe that Jesus is demonstrating here that Lazarus was beyond hope, human hope. There was no way he was going to, you know, be resuscitated this far into the, the thing. And you're going to see twice in this passage, four days, four days gets mentioned. Okay? So it goes on. It says, verse 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha, as we're going to learn, was very much hospitable. She loved to serve, she loved to welcome people, and she does that with Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We know, by the way, that Jesus was able to know that, that Lazarus had already died, even when he got the message. So even if he had been able to leave right away and get back, Lazarus was already dead. In other words, by the time they sent the messenger, somewhere between the messenger reaching Jesus, Lazarus died. And so what Martha says, and Mary's going to say it too, is they must have been saying this all four days. Oh, if only Jesus would have been here. Oh, if only Jesus would have been here. What a difference that would have made. And so it goes on. It says, but I know that even now, verse 22, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Listen to this lady's faith. It's incredible. Verse 25, I want to ask you to read verse 25 and 26 with me out loud on the notes. 
Can we do it together? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Then goes on in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Isn't this why John wrote the gospel? It was so that we might also say the similar things that Martha said and believe those same things. Verse 28, and after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Now, if you're following along, here's what we learn about Mary's encounter. Mary sees Jesus quietly weep with her. Mary sees Jesus quietly weep with her. Verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. I don't have time to tell you all the details, but here's one of the things. The mourning in those days in the Middle East, and I believe it's still being carried out, is the first seven days was heavy mourning. And when people mourn in, in Israel, maybe you've seen this before near the Wailing Wall, is that people don't just quietly weep. They wail loudly. They, from the gut, they grieve deeply. And they were given permission to grieve deeply for seven days and then lighter mourning for 30 days. And it was understood that grief would be allowed to last for a year with permission from people because of how deep the loss was. So imagine this scene. Jesus enters in this scene, and these people are there to join her, not just to go, oh, so sorry, Mary, but they're wailing with her. They're weeping and crying with her, and Mary's been crying a lot because they were close, this family, okay? So it goes on. It says, um, when, uh, Jesus, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, verse 32, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Every time we see Mary in the New Testament, I believe I'm right in saying this, we see her at Jesus' feet. In the next chapter, she's going to be at Jesus' feet again, a humble posture, but someone who loves Jesus deeply. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This word literally sometimes was used to describe horses snorting. There was this sense something was really bothering Jesus deeply. He was not unaffected by this scene. He was deeply moved. And then it says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then here's the shortest verse in the Bible. Do we all know it? You could walk out of here with a Bible verse memorized. How's that? <laughs> verse 35, you ready? Jesus wept. I don't know how long it took. This isn't the wailing. This was the quiet tears running down his face. I don't think Mary ever forgot that. And I think those tears said more than anything Jesus might have possibly said to her beside what he's already said to Martha. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And so we see that. We see that she saw Jesus quietly weep with her. What about Lazarus? If you're following along, Fourth, Lazarus hears Jesus' voice and comes alive. Lazarus hears Jesus' voice and comes alive. And this is amazing. Let me continue. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now listen to what he says. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, 
the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Would you read that verse again with me in the second gray box? Let's read it out loud. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Where does that come from? I believe verse four, way back, is what he sent the messenger. This sickness will not end in death. What did he mean? It ended in death. He, he meant in the ultimate sense, this sickness for this man will not ultimately end in death. You will see the glory of God. And he says that. It's an incredible thing, and they are about to see it. So Martha's having this thing. She's going, Lord, I don't mean to be improper or anything. You roll that stone away, it's going to be bad news. It's going to be embarrassing for our family. I don't want you to see Lazarus like that. Okay? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Martha must have agreed with Jesus. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Can I just stop and say something that really hit me this week? Jesus lived for the glory of God, but he was concerned about people. He said to his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake, that you're going to be able to believe in a different way in the journey we're about to take. And then he says these tender things to Martha and Mary. He says the most life-changing things to Lazarus, but also even this crowd, some of who are in that crowd are his enemies, who don't believe him, who don't hate him. But he said, Father, I'm not trying to show off, but I prayed this way so that people will know that you and I have something special, that we're one, that I'm God with you. And I pray that people will believe that. Jesus cares about people. It's unbelievable. And when he gets in our lives, we'll care about the glory of God and other people too. But notice how it goes on and says, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Somebody said, it's a good thing he said Lazarus on the front end or all the graves in Palestine would have opened at that very moment. But he's very specific. Lazarus, come out! And his authority over death and life is phenomenal. And then there must have been that moment, that pause, and then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That's how they did those. So he probably would have been walking with a little bit. He wasn't able to run or walk, but he walked out like this. And then I love this next line. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, some people ask me, do you believe this really happened? Oh, yeah. This is just recreational activity for Jesus. Friends, when you realize who Jesus is, this stuff is not too hard for him. And when he wanted to teach this, this sign was meant to point us not to the miracle, but to him and his authority. Notice another thing here, Jewish visitors, first, uh, five there, are split. What happens afterwards? Many trust, some go and tell on Jesus. That's what we see next, verse 45 and 46. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So again, there's this split reaction, and you and I know that's happened today. And then what's the last group? 
What's the last group that had a chance that Jesus offered them perspective to, but they refused it, were the religious leaders. And they see Jesus as a threat to get rid of if you're following along. Let me read the rest of the passage. 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which was like their uh, religious supreme court. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the, this man performing many miraculous signs. Notice even his enemies acknowledge the miraculous signs. They, that's not their issue. But instead of them seeing the glory of God, instead of them seeing God in human flesh, they see it as something to get rid of, something to stop, something to be offended. You know, people have said to me over the years, why would people want to kill somebody who came to do so much good? I'll tell you why. Because it took away people's options, power, and their place. And they didn't want to lose that. They wanted to keep that for themselves. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. Notice how condescending he is. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? Now look at what John does. Many years later, he's reflecting on this. He says in verse 51, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, these are the different encounters, and you can see a lot of people responded differently. But I want to spend the rest of the time talking about this encounter that Jesus had with Martha, because he asked her this incredible question, and uh, you'll notice that you can underline it there in that first gray box. It's the last four words. He says, look, I'm making this claim, not just to make a claim. Do you realize who's standing here with you? Do you realize who I am? and can be in your life. Do you believe this? And Martha already believed this, but Jesus was taking her to understanding Jesus differently. Do you realize, unless this crisis had happened, Mary and Martha and Lazarus would never know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. But they came to know him that way. And I don't know about you, but I hate crises. And I love what one man said, John Reith, I do not like crises, but I like the opportunities they supply. How true. I do not like crises, but I like the opportunities they supply. So when you and I are up against it, when we are in these situations where our hearts are broken, we're confused, everything's upside down, we're lost, we're panicked, what do we do? Jesus asked this question in the midst of this. Do you believe this about me? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life, that I can make a difference about your future as well as your present? Do you believe this? And you may say, yeah, well, how do I know whether I believe this? What can I do when I get in that situation? Let me offer three ideas that we find from this text. First, I believe Jesus is saying this morning, invite me into your crisis, trusting that I love you if you're following along. Invite me into your crisis, into your pain, into your heartache, into your confusion, into your anger, into your grief. Invite me right into it, trusting that I love you. I love the fact that this last week, this room was filled yesterday, uh, set Friday, with children. I mean, if you can just picture hundreds of kids filling this room and, and volunteers. This place was jammed. Parents all staying in the back. And all week long, what they learned is this. No matter who you are, no matter how you feel, no matter what other people say about you, what, what did the kids learn? Trust God. 
And they realized they could trust God because God loves them. And God cares about them. But you know, a lot of these things make us wonder. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, yet he stayed where he was two more days. Really, Lord? Really? Someone has said, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. And the Bible says again and again, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. And then this incredible passage, verse Peter 5, 7. Have you seen this verse in a while? Maybe this is just for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You want to know how to humbly respond to God when you find yourself? An act of humility is casting all your cares on him. Doing that? Are you able to invite him and say, Lord, I love the fact that when Mary and Martha were losing their brother, they said, send for Jesus. Get Jesus. Get Jesus. We need Jesus right now. Get Jesus. I love the fact they invited him. And Jesus is saying, I'm waiting for you to invite me into your situation. Invite me. Call upon me. Second thing is pour out your heart to me, even if I seem to delay. Pour out your heart to me, even if I seem to delay. I don't know if you've ever seen this verse in the Bible, but Psalm 62.8 is a powerful truth. It's changed my life when I practice it. Let's read it together. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Now, what does pour out your hearts look like? I used to tell people, if you pour out a bucket, does it come all out neat and clean and orderly? Or does it just come out? It just comes out. And a lot of us, we say, well, I can't possibly tell the Lord what's really in my heart. If I pour it out, it's going to come out all messy. There's going to be some anger in there. There's going to be maybe even some really bad words. And there's going to be a lot of stuff. And I want to be reverent about this. God is God. But he says, I care. You can talk to me heart to heart. Did you notice that Mary and Martha, when Jesus shows up, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And they weren't rebuking him. They were just saying, God, our hearts are so broken about losing our brother. Pour out your hearts to him. Some of you may never have seen Psalm 13, but I bet you can remember that because what's 13 in most people's minds? Unlucky number, right? Look at Psalm 13. Look at the honesty of this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Oh my goodness, friends. Some of you this morning, you came to hear this right now. Pour out your hearts to him. Why is it? I'm a pastor even. Here's what I've learned about myself. I pour out my heart to everybody but the Lord. I have a pity party. I invite people. They don't always come. They don't always like hearing it. But I will say this. There is a place to share our burdens with other people. But ultimately, the wisest thing we can do is say, God, can I just talk to you honestly right now? My words may not be pretty, but I know you want to know me by heart. I pour out my heart to you. And I don't understand your delays. How long, oh Lord, how long? But I'm going to talk to you about it. 
I'm going to pour out my heart to you. And the third thing is that we can show we're believing is he says this, trust me enough to do whatever I tell you to do. Trust me enough to do whatever I tell you to do. Where do I get this? You remember that when Jesus shows up, he says some things to Martha, and everything seems to be going okay until he says, roll away the stone. No! No, Lord, don't do that. Don't move that stone. That stone, that means something to me. Do not touch the stone, Jesus says. What do you want? Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want to have the perspective you have? Or do you want me to enlarge your perspective? You're seeing things only from ground level. And I'm asking you to obey me even when it may not make sense, even when it makes you uncomfortable, even when it makes you scared. I'm saying, trust me enough to do whatever I tell you. Don't just say, oh, I trust you, Lord, but I'm not going to do what you say. Oh, I trust you, Lord, but don't roll away that stone. He says, come on. And then why? Why does he say it? Let's read verse 40 again. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Why is Jesus asking us? Why does Jesus challenge us to obey? Is he trying to rip all the joy out of our life? Or does he want us to see like never before as time goes on? <laughs> There's something about when Jesus shows up, it's going to get better at some point. He's going to do something. He's going to show us more of himself. He's going to give us perspective to handle things we couldn't handle before. Oh, my goodness. I love the song, Trust and Obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And there's also no other way to see the glory of God. And the glory of God here doesn't just mean heaven. It means the glorious working of God in everyday situations. How he wants to show us that how he wants us to show us that. So where are you? Which one of these might be a good step for you today? Do you need to invite him into your crisis and say, Lord, I haven't really ever invited you. I've actually kind of pushed you away. I'm so mad, so confused. I'm so lost. I'm so panicked. Maybe he's saying, you've invited me in, but you're afraid to pour out your heart to me because you think I'm going to get mad. I've got big shoulders. I love you. And I'm delaying so that I can actually show more of myself to you, not less. I'm doing something, trust me. The last thing is, will you obey me? Is there something that Jesus has been asking you to do and you've been postponing it, putting it off, avoiding? Is there something? Because John 14, 15, if you look up here, look what he says. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You will. If you love me, if you trust me, if you know that I care about you, you'll do what I ask you to do. I'll help you. But I'm not going to do it for you. I'll do it with you. So here's the last question. Lord, here's what we can learn. I want to get a life. Please be my resurrection and life. I don't, I, I don't know. I see this a lot as I am on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, or hear people's comments. How many times have you had someone look at you? And maybe I've had this happen at times when I thought my situation was pitiful. And someone would go, get a life. <laughs> or I'll see this on, sometimes people will text things like this. They'll say, I hate my life. <clears throat> or, this is the life. But it soonly fades away. So over and over again in John's gospel, guess what he says? I am the life. 
If you walk away with anything today, I hope you'll hear this, that Jesus says this, I am the resurrection, and really what he's saying in short form is what? I'm the life. How does this make a difference if you believe that? Why would it make a difference? Here's where I'll make a difference. I have stood at enough gravesides. I have stood at enough caskets. And I've been able to see the difference between people that believe Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life and those who don't. And I got to tell you, friends, if you don't already believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then you are failing to give your family members the greatest gift you can give them. Because here's the truth. In the ultimate sense, Jesus, what Lazarus experienced wasn't resurrection. It was resuscitation, an amazing one at that. But he died, and there was a second funeral for Lazarus. We don't know if Lazarus was in some ways even a little bit bummed that he had to come back. But here's what we do know. There came a day when Lazarus heard Jesus' voice again, and it's coming a day. He's going to be resurrected to be with Jesus forever, and so will you and I. The Bible says is there's going to be a separation process between those that believe in Jesus and those who don't. Have you seen John chapter 5? Look at this verse up here, John 5, 28 and 29. He says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. He's talking about himself, the Son of Man, and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Do you see the separation process? Man, friends, I hope today that you will be able to say, Jesus, will you be my resurrection and life? No matter what I face, show me how to do all of life and all of death with you. And one of the greatest things you can give your family member, if you haven't already, is to trust him. So I want to close in prayer. And you may be a person that needs to trust him for the first time or you need to trust him again today. Let's pray. I want to ask the prayer team just to be available down front after the service. So if you can begin making your way. Oh Lord, this morning, I don't know where people are, but I pray that if people have been trusting in themselves or trusting in someone else or something else, I pray that this day they will call on your name, invite you into their lives to be their resurrection and life. I pray that you will show a person how to call on the name of the Lord in our church family that may be visiting or that may have been in a church for a long time and never done this. <clears throat> but there's a number of us that have already done that, but today... We need to trust you, just like Martha and Mary and Lazarus. We need to trust you even more. So show us how to do that, how to invite you in, to pour out our hearts, and to do whatever you tell us. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. There will be people down front if you need to make a response of faith of any kind.